Our vision is to give every baseball player around the world the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, respond to the message, and grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast with Full Count Ministries. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here and listening to the podcast this week. My name's Carter Reese, and I'm the director of FC Resources. And we try to get biblically sound, Christ-centered resources in the hands of baseball players and coaches and people who love the game uh, to, to help you to, to walk with Jesus closely and to learn more about God and what His character is like and how you can live as somebody who who loves the game but also loves Jesus uh, on and off the field. So I'm so glad that we're going through 1st and 2nd Peter uh, this summer. Uh, It's going to be such a great study. We have a a 56-day study. You might be listening to this because of that study, but maybe if you don't have that study and you're just listening to the podcast, I encourage you to go get the study from our website. It's uh, you go through the resources tab and you click on First and Second Peter, and it brings you to an order form where you can order some for you and your friends, and it's free. So I hope that you go get that. But while it's in the mail, you can go to our app and access the study through the app as well. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to the guy who's going to take us through the content in uh, in the podcast. His name is Chad Hutton and he's been on the podcast before and he's just so good at, at teaching God's word. Uh, he loves God's word. He loves God and he wants you to know more about who God is. Um, he, he's dedicated his life to teaching. He's a pastor at the City of Refuge Church and he's also a teacher at Union University at the Hendersonville campus. So we're going to be blessed by him to go through First and Second Peter and he's going to give us some baseball analogies and things to drive the point home on some things. Uh, but so thankful to have him on the podcast. So I hope that you uh, dig in these uh, next eight weeks and uh, I think you'll be blessed by it and it's going to be some great content and some good takeaways for all of us as we go through this study. So thank you for stopping in and tuning in and uh, God bless you guys. I'm going to hand it over to Chad Hutton. Hey, full count. This is Chad Hutton. In the reading plan, we are in first Peter and this recording is going to cover an introduction to the epistle of 1 Peter and the man, Peter. Now, we have to get into the mind of Peter. We kind of have to look at his background to appreciate him, and there's a lot to cover. But uh, the reason why we're going to cover it this way is to see if you can identify with this man. Uh, Remember the old game, Simon Says. Well, uh, Simon himself learned that whatever Jesus Christ told him to do, do it. And if Jesus Christ doesn't tell you to jump, you don't jump. But one of the things we're going to see is Jesus Christ was like the great coach, kind of like a manager player, uh, kind of like Pete Rose or Joe Torre or 
even Cy Young uh, in 1907 with the Red Sox and Joe Torre in 1977 with the Mets, Pete Rose uh, with the Reds. Um, Jesus Christ was basically the manager, player, owner. He owned it all, but he got in the game and he put Simon in the game. But Simon sometimes thought he was going to hit a home run and his coach said, no, we're going to bunt. And he had to learn to do it. And so let's look at Simon and let's also look at his Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Simon was nicknamed by Jesus Christ to be Peter, the rock. And uh, Peter is known for his failures, for the restoration, and for his leadership. He was a fisherman, probably always looking for the big catch of fish. And he was one of the first one called by Jesus as a disciple. He was also known as an apostle, which is a sent one. He was one of the inner circle of the three out of the twelve. Probably maybe a little bit older because it said he was married during the ministry of Jesus. He's kind of a ringleader for the disciples. And we see this played out in in the Jerusalem church after Pentecost. But he was a rough guy. Hard manual labor, blue collar fisherman, foul mouth, presumptuous, making a lot of broken promises. And this boldness, this brashness is contrasted by his denial of Jesus when he was interrogated by a servant girl out in a courtyard. And he denies Jesus three times in Jesus' worst moment because Peter was full of fear, full of doubt. Yet he repented and he was restored by Jesus Christ himself. Then he leads the way in replacing Judas um, as uh, the ringleader of the disciples. Uh, He leads the way, Peter leads the way in proclaiming Christ at the Pentecost festival when the Holy Spirit came down and 3,000 people became Christ followers. He leads the way with miracles after Pentecost. And he even gets arrested several times by the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish Supreme Court of the day of the nation of Israel. And it's interesting how Jesus was always looking for a way to put Peter in the game, to get off of the bench, to get out on the field, to give him a template to play. And it's interesting because Jesus informed him, hey, you're going to strike out three times. It's like Peter thought, I'm the big daddy. I'm going to hit a grand slam. And Jesus saying, no, (laughs) you're just in single A. You're in the minors. You need to see more heat. You're going to strike out. But Jesus wanted to encourage him as his manager, this manager player who's out on the field with this guy. He, he had to get him in the game. He had to prepare him for the big leagues. And the big leagues was persecution. The big leagues was suffering. The big leagues was when the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, turned against the disciples of Jesus very shortly after Jesus was crucified. Jesus had to get Peter ready for that. Are you getting ready for the big leagues? Are you getting ready for persecution, for suffering, when God strips everything away and all you've got is God? Are you going to be upset with God? Or are you going to worship God? Are you getting other people prepared for the big leagues who maybe have never experienced suffering or persecution or the heat has never been turned up in their, in their life to increase their faith? We see in Peter that uh, God in Acts chapter 10 gave him a vision about reaching the Gentiles. And uh, three times he saw this vision. If you look closely, uh, there's kind of a three, 
uh, triplet going on with Peter multiple times in his life. You see this in Book of Acts. It's kind of like McFly, McFly, you know, uh, knocking on a skull saying, wake up, wake up three times in a row. But you also see that even though Peter went forth and ministered to the Gentile soldier Cornelius, he also struggled with prejudice. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 records that he had to rebuke Peter to his face because even Barnabas was led astray by the prejudice of Peter. So he had his failures. Well, that gives us hope that even a guy with failures, even a guy who's stubborn, even a guy who has foot-in-mouth disease, foot-in-mouth disease, he can be utilized by his great coach, Jesus Christ. We're going to strike out in life sometimes. We're going to strike out. We're going to do it wrong. But he says, you get that high heater coming at your face. Do not jump out of the, the batter's box. Stay in there. And we know that um, John Mark, also known as Mark, who recorded the Gospel of Mark, traveled with Peter and was a disciple of Peter. And many scholars say that the Gospel of Mark was just a collection of teachings that John Mark heard Peter say on his travels. We also know that even though uh, Paul had to rebuke Peter, that in his second, Peter, uh, second epistle, Peter's second epistle, he mentions Paul in a respectful way. So obviously they reconciled and they worked together in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we're going to have people get in our face and we need to learn that maybe they're doing that because they love us. Peter was the type of person that he could have guys challenge him. Jesus challenged him. The apostle Paul challenged him. And he respected that. And we need to respect that too. One interesting thing is we noticed that in Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit would not allow Paul to go in this region of Bithynia. But then in the first epistle of Peter, he mentions Bithynia. So evidently, there is a playing field that certain players on the team Jesus, team Jesus Christ, he already set out, you're going to be assigned over here. You're going to be assigned over here. So years later, obviously, Peter is ministering in an area where Paul at one point was not even allowed to go to. We know that maybe Peter, as a fisherman who was not educated uh, in all of the uh, seminaries or universities of the day, maybe he was not as intellectual as Paul, but he ended up writing letters that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know that in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Sanhedrin said that Peter had been with Jesus and that was enough. The Lord had equipped him. You don't have to have a name. You don't have to have a degree. You just need to be affirmed to have a place on the team with Christ. And we realize that um, when Peter is writing this first epistle, he's mostly writing to Gentiles. And until Peter had that vision in Acts chapter 10, he'd never even eaten bacon. He had never lived like a Gentile. He thought, Gentiles were scum and unclean. But then, because of the love of Jesus, we see that he ministers to the Gentiles. And now he's writing to mostly Gentiles in the northern region of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he mentions in the first couple of verses of 1 Peter uh, about five provinces. And three of those provinces are listed in the book of Acts chapter 2 of Pentecost. And so we know that there's Christ followers there that need somebody to lead them and guide them. This first epistle by Peter was probably written about 30 years after Christ to uh, persecuted Christ followers to encourage them. 
And Jesus had encouraged Peter when he was being presumptuous and um, showed him to, to keep moving forward. And now Peter is returning favor. Remember, at the restoration of Peter, Jesus says to him, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs. You're going to end up being a shepherd. And he even tells Peter, this is in uh, the Gospel of John in the last chapter, that you're, in a, you're going to end up dying for me one day. In other words, Peter is trying to figure out, um, you know, is is the Apostle John, how is he going to go out? How's, how's he going to die? So he asks Jesus about the Apostle John, and then, and then Jesus says to Peter, don't worry about him, worry about yourself, but one day you will die for me. Now, why would Jesus say that to Peter? It's to encourage them, encourage Peter, that even though Peter denied him, Jesus is trying to tell him, you will go to your grave, never denying me again. And we do know that Peter was crucified for his faith in Jesus Christ in the end. And he wanted to let the people know that he's writing to in his first epistle, that in the middle of their persecution, God is with them. God has not left them behind. And so what we see in the first chapter of the first epistle by Peter is that he's telling them about their new identity. They are born again. They're children of God. They are the elect exiles, Christ followers. And when he calls them elect exiles, it's interesting because these people were living in in their homeland. This land wasn't foreign to them, but he's trying to tell them the world is not your final home and you are one of God's children. And so he's trying to encourage them in the middle of persecution to hold loosely to the world and hold tightly to your salvation in Jesus Christ. That's something that we need to remember in America. When we get too comfortable, we need to hold on to that comfort and that safety loosely. And we need to pick up our cross and follow Jesus Christ and to know this world is not our home. But when we do go through suffering for our faith, God is with us. God's hand is upon us. Uh, Now, he mentions choosing, that God chose us. And it's interesting because whenever it talks about choosing the Bible, Yes, God's choices trump our choices, but we're not supposed to argue about who chooses who. Does God choose us? Do we choose God? Because Peter here, he mentions grace and peace. He's talking to persecuted believers who are wondering, has God forgotten me? Have I done something wrong? Well, am I going to lose my salvation? And Peter's saying, have peace. God's grace is upon you. In the middle of the storm, Jesus Christ is in your boat. Remember, when Peter was called, Jesus Christ got into his boat. Peter, all of his life, may have been looking for this huge catch of fish. And maybe he never achieved that on his own. But then Jesus said, throw your nets on the side of the boat. And when Peter obeyed, a huge catch of fish occurred. And Peter knew he was a sinner. And he fell to his knees and said to Jesus, go away from me. And that's the first thing that we must say when we follow Jesus. I know I'm a sinner and I know that you are God. And I know I don't deserve to be near you and you should not even be in my life, in my boat. But then what did Jesus say to Peter? Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for men. You're going to be catching people. Maybe you're listening to this. A couple of things you need to know. The first step in becoming a Christ follower is acknowledging you're a sinner and that God is good and God is gracious and God is merciful, but 
He doesn't have to save us. He doesn't have to extend his love to us, but he does. And we have to repent. We have to confess. We have to fall to our knees. We basically have to say, go away from me. I don't need to be near you. You shouldn't be in my boat. You shouldn't be in my life. And then we feel his hand on our shoulder saying, follow me. I'm going to turn everything you've ever known, your whole experience, into a kingdom moment. And maybe you grew up hunting instead of fishing. Maybe you grew up as uh, on a farmland. Well, what Jesus is saying, I want to use that hunting so that you would hunt souls. I want to use all that farming, that sowing and reaping for the harvest of the kingdom of Christ. Or in fishing, I want you to fish for people. I want you to go after them. Throw your net out. Do the hard work, the labor. And Jesus will take care of the rest. And Peter knew that these Gentiles that he's writing to, uh, they were wondering, is Jesus still in my life, in my boat, when things get a little bit rocky and the storms are coming and the waves are overtaking me? You'll notice there in the first couple of verses that uh, the Trinity is involved in our salvation. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But immediately, Jesus, uh, Peter, right out the gate, is mentioning Jesus and the blood. He goes straight to the blood right away. We have to claim the blood of Christ in our life. And we need to talk about the blood of Christ more often because we don't. We don't even really sing about it as much anymore. We see in verse 3 that uh, when we go through suffering, we have to worship through it. We are blessed that we have salvation. We don't need to throw a pity party. We don't need to focus too much on circumstances. We need to worship through it because we're chosen by God. You know, we didn't choose our physical birth. And in the same way that God chose for us to be uh, to exist, He chose for us to be in His kingdom. Peter did not leave his fishing business to find Jesus. Jesus came and got into His boat. We are reborn. You see that in verse 3, and you're going to see it again in verse 23 of the same chapter. We are be reborn because God's love and His mercy and His kindness. And if we are His, He's in our boat, even in suffering, we can have hope. You see in verses 3 and 4, the gospel, Jesus rose from the dead. He died and He rose from the dead. He was resurrected to provide an inheritance for us with no cracks, no flaws, safely and secure. This is not our home, but we're going to the new promised land, the new Jerusalem, led by a new Joshua, a conquest by Jesus, defeating the enemy, defeating evil that is inside of us, defeating death and the grave. He holds our salvation in his hands. Our, uh, our salvation is tight, held tight, but it's by faith. We can rejoice even in trials. You see that in verse 6. It's kind of like James 1. Rejoice in all the trials that you experience. But we've got to be tested. Verse 7. We've got to be tested so that our faith can grow instead of stay at a child infantile level. Because testing, it proves and refines our faith. Kind of like getting out on the field. You're getting those pitches that are a lot more extreme that you've, than you've seen all your life. You go through the crucible and on the other side. You can worship even more. But again, verse 8, it's by faith. We don't have to see Christ face to face like Peter did. We can love him and believe in him and pour our heart out to him. It's just like the Beatitudes of Jesus. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be satisfied. That is by faith. Verse 10, 
He mentioned salvation. That's the third time he mentioned salvation. And he's saying it's a privilege in the new covenant because Old Testament Jewish prophets and even angels long to look at the salvation we now experience so we can have hope in the middle of persecution. So Peter keeps mentioning our status as children of God, elect exiles, reborn. So what now? In verse 13, what now? We need a checkup from the neck up. We've got to be ready for warfare because the war is coming. We're going to experience suffering. People are going to make fun of us. People are going to ostracize us. It could be our neighbors. could be our family members. could be our co-workers. could be people inside our own home. This is not for pushovers and pansies. We've got to fix our brain on eternity, the fulfillment of our salvation. We have salvation now, but we're headed towards living it out later. And in verse 14, when you're God's children, you're God's kids, you honor him with your lifestyle. You don't get distracted. You don't let the old passions of this world control you because you're made to be holy. That means set apart. That means different from this world. God's going to judge our good deeds. He takes notice when we represent him well. And so we've got to be motivated by our redemption. We lived in this pagan world. And many of our family members were pagan. They lived in sick and twisted, disgusting, ignorant ways. But Jesus Christ redeemed us by his pure, perfect blood. He's the innocent lamb of God. That should encourage you. You should be stuck in pagan ways, totally ignorant of God, worshiping yourself and everything in this world. But he's bought you with the price of the blood of his son. And God knew he was going to do this all along. You see in Genesis 3.15, even to the serpent and Adam and Eve, he's mentioning that he's got a plan of redemption, that he's going to send his son and he's going to strike down the evil one. Even though Jesus is going to be bruised, the evil one is going to be crushed. So God knew he's going to do this all along, even though we really didn't understand this redemption plan till recently. So all this rebirth that we have, it should cause us to love, to love when it's difficult, to love when we don't feel like it. That was a pretty big lesson for Peter, and it's a lesson for us. So you see in verse 22, we were cleansed by salvation, purified. Why? So that we could love others. God's love has an effect on us. We should desire to be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then you see in verse 23 again, he's born. we are born again by the word of God. He sowed his word in us and it called us out of darkness like Jesus Christ calling Lazarus out of the grave. And then Peter quotes Isaiah 40 verses 6, 7, and 8. And that's revealing to us that quote of Isaiah that the old and new covenant is God's word when it points to Jesus, the gospel. And that leads to chapter 2, where we need to crave the Word of God, crave the Gospel. You even see the, the mention of Word, the Word of God, three times in verses 24 and 25. So I want to challenge you, my friends, to identify with Peter. Here's a man that was just an average, everyday guy in his fishing business. And Jesus got into his boat, and he made something out of him. And his legacy is that even though a couple of times he took his eyes off of Jesus and he sunk into the raging water, Jesus's hand reached out for him and he, and he pulled him into the boat. And for us, he's still got a plan. We may strike out, but we got to get back up to the plate. We got to invest in other people. We got to become those manager players. We got to teach them how to steal the base. Got to teach them how to bunt. 
We're going to teach them how to position themselves for the catch and for the throw. Because spiritually speaking, we play for Jesus Christ. We don't play uh, for our own glory or for the glory of this world. We keep our head down low and we serve and we wash feet. And Peter could identify with that. Maybe you identify with that. Be encouraged by this first epistle of Peter. Man, that was awesome, Chad. Thank you so much for taking us through 1 Peter chapter 1. Guys, he's going to be with us for eight weeks. Uh, I'm so looking forward to next week's episode on 1 Peter chapter 2. In the meantime, dive into the book, the study that we have for you guys in 1 and 2 Peter, those seven days before we get to 1 Peter 2, either in book form or in the app. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Have a great week and God bless. hope you have enjoyed this episode of the training for an eternal crown podcast you can visit our website for more resources and also find this podcast on all major platforms full count ministries exist to create disciples using the game of baseball we are a non-profit ministry and if you have benefited from this resource we would encourage you to consider donating to the cause to reach every baseball player with the gospel giving them the opportunity to respond to the gospel and then to grow in the relationship with jesus please like subscribe and share this podcast so that you can play a part in accomplishing the mission that god has put on our hearts for baseball players around the globe globe.